Well, hello and welcome back. Welcome to, I should say, the uh, Euro Weekly Podcast brought to you by Bet Victor. Bet Victor's Euro Weekly Podcast, I guess, is we're actually going to call it. Uh, we haven't completely decided on a name and everything yet, but we have got a new format. We've got new guests coming on, but it's the same two ugly mugs. And thankfully, it's an audio format only, so you can't really tell that. Who are taking you through all of the football across the continent. Uh, I'm Ollie Wilson, and alongside me, or well, not directly alongside me, obviously, but in a land a little further away, but not too far away, Mr. Jason Pettigrove. Jace, how you doing, man? I'm very well, and I most definitely do have a face for radio, so thank you for that intro. That's, some some would say you've got the uh, the voice for radio <laughs> as well, but uh, you know I think that's more of a compliment than than the negative face for radio, so to speak. <laughs> so I think that's okay. Uh, how you doing, man? We had the, obviously the international break and everything. Oh. All all right, watching uh, a little bit of Spanish international football, or did your eyes get distracted elsewhere? Uh, to be honest, I kicked back for a change. I had my first weekend off for the year, so uh, lazy I didn't sod. <laughs> I didn't actually see either of the Spain games, um, but which makes a big change because normally, as you know, we're both sort of at the cold face throughout the year. So no, um, a nice weekend off, but uh, ready to go again. Obviously, with the the La Liga um, games coming up this coming weekend. This is going to be interesting as well, this new format, I guess, because uh, both you and I are going to have to diversify slightly into a couple of leagues that we don't necessarily follow as much. I, I dabble in a bit of German football every so often, but the French league has eluded me for the last couple of years, aside from the main talking points, and that generally seem to be covered by Spanish football as well, with all things Neymar. And, uh, and I know yourself, I, neither of us, I think we would confess to say that we are experts in either the German or the French league, which is why we're going to get some good guests on over the next few weeks to, uh, to chat about it. Yeah, I mean, I suppose we've got a, a working knowledge, as it were, but no, but I mean, I'm certainly far from an expert in those other leagues, albeit, you know, I like to keep tabs on the results, see you know, who's doing well, who's not doing so well, but there are others, as you say, that are much better qualified, and we're delighted that we'll be getting them on over the next few weeks. And we've got, obviously, uh, eyes on those leagues and uh, the major teams in it, obviously from the Champions League and everything like that. Uh, delighted to say we're going to kick off though with two leagues that are a little closer to home for yourself and I. Uh, we're looking at Serie A and Italian football uh, a little later on. Happy to say that Chloe Beresford is joining us uh, on the show to talk all things about that. The first lady of Italian football and somebody you know uh, reasonably well via Twitter and all things social media as well, Jason. Um, and also we have Tom Sanderson joining uh, to have a chat with you, Jason, about all things La Liga. Just quickly on the way for Euros because it, it hasn't been the most thrilling qualification uh, campaign that we've seen from, from some of these places, but most of the teams now are all sorted of who's staying, who's going, who's going into the playoffs, etc. What I thought was really interesting and kind of weird was the, um, the England-Kosovo game where over the tannoy at the stadium there was an announcement saying to thank the english for their participation as part of the uh, as part of the un in in liberating kosovo i think it was described on the tannoy and there was a big round of applause and uh, a kind of a, a real it was a really good vibe you know normally you would be apprehensive about english fans going anywhere in europe uh, especially perhaps to the to the more eastern regions but this was a really kind of novel experience, which I know loads of the journalists have been reporting on social media said was was unique in a in a really pleasant way. I know, but isn't that sad? That it's, it's the exception rather than the rule. Um, I think I saw some stuff on social media with uh, English fans doing their usual. I won't go into any deeper than that, but I hope they're feeling after getting that round of applause and being so warmly welcomed, you know, they're, they're thinking twice because, you know, Supporters abroad, there's often this, you know, thuggish element and macho element, which I really can't stand. I look at the way rugby supporters, when they go abroad, how they conduct themselves. And I think if, if football fans could just do that and have that respect for where they're going, it'd be a, such a much more pleasant experience for everybody. You know, fair play to Kosovo, they didn't need to do that. It's something that, as you said, I think it was a special moment, actually. I think we'll, we'll look back on that as... I don't quite know a watershed moment, but it's just something very, very pleasant. And let's hope we see more of it. Let's just quickly, I will run you through the sides that are going to be going through either in qualified or going into the playoffs uh, of the European 2020 qualifying rounds. And of course, there are still games being played this evening. Uh, we're talking, of course, on Monday night as we prepare for the week coming up in all things European football here on uh, Bet Victor's Euro Weekly. But Group A, England, the Czech Republic have qualified, gone through Kosovo and Bulgaria. will scrap it out in the playoffs in third and fourth. Although 
group order, remember, doesn't decide things. It also comes down to the Nation League divisions that uh, teams are in as well. So bear with me. Group B sees the Ukraine and Portugal going through. Cristiano Ronaldo on 99, not 100 goals uh, internationally after the internationals this week. Serbia going through to the playoff spots. Germany and the Netherlands have qualified. Northern Ireland and Belarus from Group C are going through to the playoffs. Denmark, Switzerland, Republic of Ireland. That order is still yet to be determined, but all three have at least guaranteed themselves a playoff spot. Georgia as well going through into the playoffs. Croatia have qualified with Hungary, Wales and Slovakia still to be decided who qualifies and who makes the playoff spots. That will be sorted out this evening. Spain, of course, qualifying ahead of Sweden as group winners in Group F with Romania and Norway going through to the playoff spots. Poland and Austria qualifying with Northern Mace uh, North Macedonia and Israel going through in the playoff spots as opposed to Slovenia who finished third and Latvia who finished bottom with six. France and Turkey from Group H with Iceland going into the playoff spots. Always fun to see Iceland on the uh, on the names as an English football fan. Uh, Belgium and Russia qualifying from Group I with Scotland going through into the playoff spots and Italy and Finland qualifying Italy top of that group with Bosnia and Herzegovina who finished fifth going through ahead of Greece and Armenia into the playoff spots because of the Nations League performance last year. Get your head around that, if you will. And while you're thinking of that, we'll, uh, we'll lull you back into the European football, because I'm delighted to say uh, Tom Sanderson joined the show this week to talk all things La Liga with Jason. That and a little bit more when we come back here on the Euro Football Weekly. Hey, Harry. Hello, mate. Who do you think will win the football later? It's a tough one to call, but I would say one thing. Ignore all them TV pundits in their fancy suits. Sorry, son. Listen, if you want a sure winner, put your money on. Sorry, I've got to run Saunders back and I forgot to take the bins out. Listen to Harry and make your best bet with BetVictor. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. Journalist Tom Sanderson. Now, for those of you who aren't aware of Tom's work, he's a regular at Camp Nou, where he reports on Barca for Forbes Sports. He's also the editor of Yellow and Green Football, uh, which is a partner of O Globo and The Guardian. How you doing, Tom? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks, Jason. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I'm doing fine, thanks. Uh, hope you are too. Right, good. Let's just dive straight into it. I say, given your boots on the ground, so to speak, in Barcelona. What's the general feeling amongst the locals as to how they started this season? Because we see like a lot of Valverde out hashtags on social media, for example. But I wondered if that's replicated by those that are going to the games, because home form really has been very decent this season. They've just been very poor away from home. Yeah, I don't get that feeling um, from the games I've been going to. Um, obviously, in the Champions League against Slavia Prague at half-time, uh, there were some faint whistles that then became a lot stronger at full time when they drew nil nil. Uh, you don't get any particular feeling about any uh, animosity uh, towards Valverde. I just think, like you said, the, the home form has been pretty decent, um, and every time they lose uh, uh, on the roads, and I mean, you know, then defeats have been pretty uh, demoralising. Uh, you know, all the talk of crisis creeps in, but. You know, I often think that that can be sensationalism on, on behalf of the two main papers in Catalonia. Also, you know, they've got 15 pages to fill every day. And, and you know, sometimes there's a lot more to talk about when the team just suffered a defeat, especially when it's to a team that, you know, maybe considered, um, you know, no disrespect to, to Levante or Granada, but, you know, um, slightly inferior to Barca. Um, I think it fills pages for them a lot of the time, as does this buzz. Um, regarding a, a, a possible successor to Valverde at the end of the season. I think when you say crisis as well, I, I'm not sure how you can say that a team that's top of the table, albeit not having the greatest season, but they have a game in hand on every, everybody else by Real Madrid, they're at the top. I mean, if that's a crisis, I'm sure many clubs would take that, wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, fans of, of other clubs are, are too quick to. Uh, to mention that you know that's the kind of crisis they'd love to have, and, and more level-headed 
um, fans, uh, Barca fans, I think, are also quick to try and you know calm any talk uh, of such a crisis down. And, and you know, they're not they're not crises at the end of the day. Are crises? Sorry. Tonight we've seen some rumours. I'm not sure if you've seen them over there, but I've certainly picked up on them that uh, even Rakitic has supposedly chosen to move to Juve. Now I've got to stress that they're unconfirmed reports at this stage. But it does seem to me that he's going to go in January because, in my opinion, he's been treated appallingly since the start of this season. What effect do you think that might have on Barcelona? I mean, for me, he's still a, he's a reliable player. He's good at what he does. Um, you know, he's not particularly old either. I think that's probably a bad move. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, I've seen the... I think um, Eric Capital gave interviews to both Spark and Mundo Deportivo this weekend. Um, and he said that, you know, apparently Rakitic was told that he'd have a diminished role this season. He was already, you know, warned beforehand. And obviously Frankie de Jong's arrived um, and, you know, dislodged him from the first 11. He started 15 of uh, Barca, 16 games in all competitions. And then, you know, elsewhere you've seen the there's been eight different um, midfield combinations. Um, De Jong, Artur and Busquets has been the most used one, but still Valverde can't decide on, uh, I think, on who's the best to to partner um, De Jong. And yeah, Rakitic has, has been criminally underused, I think. And there's also a risk of Vidal leaving in, in January. Um, possibly to Italy as well. I mean, they were, they were talking about Inter Milan fancying on both at one point. I think if Rakitic goes, it'll be a big loss because you've got um, other players sort of um, you know, on the fringe of the first-team squad who have maybe not got that you know, winning experience. They're not getting the game, are they? And, and I think even the ones no. that are, I mean, for me, Sergio Busquets hasn't been anywhere close to his best this season. And I think if anybody, obviously he's not going to be sold, but if anybody needs a bit of a break, I suggest it probably needs to be Buzzy rather than Rakitic. Yeah, I think we've seen that in the um, last couple of seasons. You know, if, if Barca do you know, go towards the, the semi-finals or even final and, and they go all the way um, to the final in the Copa del Rey and, you know, you're playing 50 to 60 games a season. I think we've already seen in the last two that Busquets hasn't quite got the legs for that. I mean, there's, there's been a lot made of the fact that he's not starting the three away wins, but it's impossible that he can, he can start them all. And I think, yeah, you know, the, the way that he's sort of... Um, Frozen out Rakitic and to a lesser extent Vidal. Um, you know, he's playing a dangerous game, I think, especially as we get towards the um, business end of the season where the, the, the experience of Rakitic and, and Vidal will be uh, you know, badly needed. Yeah. Yeah. So, Barca have got Leganes next, which you would expect them to win, but obviously, yeah, the way things have gone in some games. Maybe that's not a foregone conclusion. Then it's Dortmund, Atleti, Mallorca, Inter, Real Sociedad, Real Madrid in a big one, and then Alaves before Christmas. That's a pretty tough run of fixtures. I mean, do you think Barca have got what it takes to come out of that period relatively unscathed? Yeah, I think it's you know if you if you tot it up, I think it's something like eight games in in twenty nine days, isn't it? and. Again, I think that's when you when your Rakitic and, and Vidal's uh, um, are going to come in handy. Um, I, I wonder about Saturday against Leganes if you know maybe some of them players are, are going to get a run, uh, run out. Considering that Dortmund are coming to the camp now on, on Tuesday, mm. you know I think they've got Atleti to play at the Wanda. Um, they've got Real Sociedad to play. Um, Away as well, and then uh, El Clasico on the on the eighteenth. I think if he's going yeah, to you know, rotate his side, he's got to be in in this period now, isn't it? Because obviously we've got a Spanish Super Cup now coming up in January to add to everything else. Yeah, and then it, you know he's got to travel to Saudi Arabia. Um, they, they did go on that run, didn't they? Was it seven uh, a, a seven game winning streak? Or did they get up to eight? I can't quite remember. I think. Um, 
eight was the record under Valverde. They were close to equaling it, and then when they lost to Levante. So yeah, they have shown that you know they can go on a seven and eight game winning streak. But you know, getting towards the end of the year um, and you know these international breaks and players such as Suarez and Messi and Arturo travelling also to the Middle East like they will again in January to play for the countries. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what condition they come back in and then, you know, like you say, if, if Barca have got what it takes to, uh, to win those eight games, we definitely need to, you know, win those last two Champions League group games. And then, you know, we've currently got a title race where they're level on points with Madrid um, and, you know, two goals in front on goal difference. So, you know, it's a case of whether them top three teams and Club Atleti are going to drop any points, I suppose, but, I mean... You'd think that Barca would drop a point somewhere. Yeah, talking about Real Madrid, um, they're in a rich vein of form right now. Last five games they've scored 16 goals, not let any in. They weren't in that sort of form when El Clasico should have been played. And, and they've got a couple of tough fixtures coming up themselves, Valencia, PSG and Sociedad as well. Uh, on this show, which you may or may not have listened to in the past, Ollie and I have often lambasted Zinedine Zidane. But surely he deserves credit for turning around what was threatening to become, I think, another mediocre domestic campaign for Real Madrid. Yeah, I think, um, you know, at one point um, there was also a crisis talk from, from the two uh, Madrid papers, um, you know, just like there's been um, in Catalonia. But, yeah, we've only lost one one game in La Liga. I think it's also the Champions League, the way they started in that, that was of most concern. Um, and, you know, they were talking about Mourinho uh, possibly replacing Zidane. Uh, yeah, he's, he's turned it round. Um, he seems to have uh, found his midfield. Uh, ben Zemmer's, you know, in, in, in scintillating form. Hazard starting to... Um, find his feet I think you've got Rodrigo has been a revelation and nobody expected to take off as quickly in the way that he did uh, Freddy Valverde in the midfield also has really uh, shone and you know established himself as a as a regular I think Tony Kroos too um, you know has been playing well for, for club and country it was, it was good for Germany this weekend too Casemiro just never misses a game and is as regular as ever um, but, you know, regarding the next game in La Liga, they've got PSG in the Champions League a few days later, so you've got to wonder whether they'll, they'll rest players for that and, you know, maybe prioritise um, getting their own back on, on PSG to avenge the loss they had in Paris. Yeah. One of the players that he does seem to have a perennial problem with is Gareth Bale. Um, yet again, there's been suggestions that perhaps he wants to leave the club or at least they're making it difficult for him to be there. Can Real Madrid really do without him, do you think? Uh, however toxic that situation might become. I mean, he's a match winner, isn't he? Yeah, he is. You know, like, he's, he's definitely, um, you know, in a, in a chosen group of elite players, um, his, you know, his trophy cabinet um, speaks for itself. His, his, you know, the, the way that he can turn a game on his head and, and has done time and again. Um, but I think with the emergence of, of Rodrigo and, you know, to a lesser extent, Vinicius, who, who seemed like, you know, he was the guy last season, but I saw a dropped off and then Rodrigo filled his, his um, you know, filled his boots to an extent in his place in pecking order. Um, I think the wide forwards that they've got and, you know, the, the strength and depth they have and, and the fact that those, uh, wide men can can switch to either flank, um, and and you know the the amount of money that that he demands in terms of his, his wages, I think they could afford to to let him go. Real, I don't think it would be you know, a grave loss, but he obviously is still a world class player. To say that he doesn't contribute anything it would be you know remiss. But I think that uh, you know the young players they've got coming through that you know it might be time to maybe move on and look to the future. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Vinicius. 
for me, he's been hugely disappointing. He started off well, but he's fallen off the, the edge of a cliff as far as I'm concerned. I think his situation's been made worse, actually, by how quickly Rodrigo's adapted. Do you think it benefits Raul to perhaps let him go perhaps on loan and maybe even like a mini clear out of the, the players that perhaps aren't getting a look in? Or do you think they should live by the, the sort of the old mantra of if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Yeah, I can remember last season um, that, you know, obviously uh, um, Vinicius broke through to the, the first team um, before Zidane came back and then, you know, apparently you know, Zidane and, and Florentino Perez's um, desire to, to land Mbappé, um, you know, and Vinicius in his camp fearing that he would go out on loan. Um, I do agree that um, this season has not been at his best. I just think Rodrigo offers far more. He's, he's far more versatile, um, even though he's just a, a year younger than Vinicius, which doesn't really mean anything. But you know, he is the youngest of the two. Um, apparently, both Chichi and Zidane um, for Brazil and Madrid, respectively, think that he's, he's more mature. He's got a better technical, te uh, tactical, and positional awareness. Um, I think. I think his profile maybe, um, you know, it'd be a bit of an insult for him to go out on loan. Um, I just think he needs to work on his finishing. I think he can get up there. I don't think he'll ever be as, as good as what Rodrigo might turn out to be and what he's shown himself to be. I don't think he's, you know, going to be able to, um, you know, take Aiden Hazard's place in the team. But uh, I think that they should stick with him for a season or two at least before they think about shipping him out on loan because again you never know what could happen with Bale getting injured or Rodrigo's never a serious injury uh, Hazard I think they do need um, a bit of backup still well, Let's go over to the red and white half of Madrid just have a, a quick chat about Atleti Diego Costa's been another striker that's been disappointing this season obviously he's injured now I'm wondering I think, personally, it's probably a blessing for Diego Simeone, given how well Alvaro Morata's been playing of late. I think he scored in his last seven games. And they're only one point behind Raul Barca. Obviously, the top two have got a game in hand. They've only let in eight goals, but they've only scored 15. I mean, do you think there's, they've got enough about them to launch a sustained challenge this season, given everything is still so tight at the top? Yeah, I think um, with how um, tight at the top it is, as you said, that you know you can't say they're already out of it. As you've, as you've pointed out, it's neck and neck up there. Um, yeah, I think we've got to wonder about what impact uh, João Felix could have when he comes back. But you know, as you said, um, Morato's been Morato's been doing a pretty um, steady job on his own. Uh, but just need to. They're just not capitalising when, when Madrid and, and Barca, especially when Barca have lost uh, away from home, uh, they've not capitalised on it at all. Uh, when you know Madrid have only been defeated once, but when they when they drew, um, Atleti have not capitalised on that either, and that's what you need in the long run. Yeah, I just wanted to finish uh, on the court decision that um, found in the Spanish Football Federation's favour regarding uh, trying to get the VRAO and Atleti game played in the USA. Now, clearly there's no love lost at all between the Liga chief, uh, Javier Tebas, and his counterpart of the Federation, Luis Rubiales. Do you think that court's decision is the right one? I mean, is there a sense of inevitability almost at a regular season games just around the corner? Yeah, you know, the... They keep, um, you know, fighting it off, and, and we also almost had a, a Barcelona and Girona fixture played in the United States. Also, I think, um, you know, obviously in a city like uh, Miami, in a state like Florida, um, they've obviously got substantial um, Hispanic and Latino populations. I can imagine that, um, you know, that forms a pretty significant part of um, the American viewership of La Liga and, you know, boost um, viewing figures no end uh, over the Atlantic. But, you know, it's, uh, I don't think it's fair to, to you know, season ticket holders back in Spain. Um, I think that, you know, well, I suppose it's, it's, one odd, game it's, that it's odd that the Spanish Super Cup is going to be played in Saudi, as you said, in January. 
and Rubiales has apparently said the justification for that is that it's just like the, the one-off competition and if it was a La Liga game that would go abroad then it would hinder the other 18 member clubs so I'm not sure if he's sort of turning things around to meet his own agenda but it is something that you know, doesn't neither organisation come out of it well in my opinion yeah, it seems like a bit of a, um, you know, slanging match between the two of them, a bit of a proxy war where they're, you know, trying to score points off each other and, and rub each other the wrong way. And, and then they're doing that with, with fans based in Spain. And, you know, you speak to fans who, who uh, you know, don't even live in Spain and, and they they don't like to see it, the fixture played anywhere but, but Spain either. Um, I think with Saudi Arabia, um, you know, we're getting into hypotheticals here, but I think people probably have far less of a problem with the Super Cup being played in Miami than um, than Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking from a, a Brazilian perspective, or that of someone who lived in Brazil for quite a few years and still writes about Brazilian football. Um, you know, taking the the super classical um, between Brazil and Argentina to Saudi Arabia, the start of Brazil Global Tour, has not sat well uh, with a lot of people. You know that that fixture can be sold to the highest bidder, and it can be sold to to a country that you know is, is sports washing, as they call it, um, trying to take attention away from from the kind of serious issues that are going on over there. Big thanks to Tom Sanderson to, for joining us on the show. Jace, where can people find Tom's work? Um, they can find him mainly at Forbes Sports. He does a lot of stuff. He's, As I said uh, when I chatted to him, he, he's boots on the ground. He's at Camp Nou most weekends. So um, he sort of dabbles here, there and everywhere, but mainly Forbes Sports. And he's at Tom Sanderson on Twitter, as he mentioned. At Tom Sanderson, BCN, remember, Jace. Oh, he's changed, he? At Tom Sanderson, BCN uh, is where you will find him. Looking ahead then to the weekend in Spain, Jason, uh, any fixtures that are really catching your eye? I think Granada Atleti is quite a, a good one, as well as Real against Real Sociedad. Um, I suppose there's a few. I'm you know, just looking at now. Betis against Valencia is another one. I think Granada Atleti for me because Granada they're they're slipping away now, but they're at home. They could do with a boost. Atleti are without Diego Costa, even though I actually think that might be of benefit to them longer term. But Atleti will have Barcelona coming up just afterwards, so it it's not quite a must win game for them. But if they were to drop points against Granada and then Barcelona were to to go to the Wanda and uh, take the points there or at least come away with a draw. You know, it leaves Asleti sort of still scrabbling around, just not quite making that leap up to split the top two. Uh, Real Madrid or Sociedad, I think that's going to be a really cracking game of football. Madrid have come into some really good form of late. Uh, they haven't conceded a goal in five games. Sociedad, I think they're still going to be without Martin Odegaard. But if he if he does play against his parent club, then I, I think that will be a special performance from him. Uh, they obviously are still up there in and amongst it. And then Betis Valencia, I think we're coming to the point now where we're starting to question whether Ruby's going to be on his way because things just aren't happening for him at Betis, are they? Uh, you look at the uh, Bet- uh, excuse me, the Real Madrid Real Sociedad game. Sociedad eleven to two to find a victory away from home against Real Madrid. Real Madrid two to five on Bet Victor for that. In terms of keeping a clean sheet, well, Real Madrid to win two nil is seventeen to two, which actually isn't a bad bet, really. Uh, if you think about that, and uh, Real Madrid have one 0 win, twenty-one to two. Those odds all on Bet Victor. You must be eighteen or over to gamble. Please gamble aware. For more information, visit begambleaware.org, and the odds are subject to change as we speak. Jason, do you follow the Italian football much? As I mean, not ever so much. I mean, with one of my previous employers, uh, David, or known as Dov Schiavone, uh, he's always <laughs> around the ground. So I'm always locked into his Twitter to see where he is. And quite a lot of the time he's at the San Siro or up with Juve. So I, I like keeping tabs on Juventus and both the Milan sides. Obviously, Barca are playing into in, in the Champions League this year. 
it seems to me that if if Conte can sort of wheedle out the the problems that seem to be coming, that I think they've got a very good chance of of challenging Juve. But yeah, at this point, again, you've got to say that it's Juve who are going to be the team to beat. And if Ronaldo starts finding a bit of form as well, I think you know they could be out of sight within you know six weeks or so. Well, I mean, who needs Ronaldo at this point? Because he was substituted in the last game before the international break against Milan. And uh, his replacement, Pablo Dybala, comes on and, and finds a winner. I spoke with uh, Chloe Beresford earlier today about that and about all things uh, Inter and Juventus, of course, in a title race that's extending through 13 games now, which is a lengthy title race indeed in Serie A. And, of course, it's only fitting we started off talking with all things Cristiano Ronaldo because he always loves to try and take the spotlight away from Lionel Messi, hence why we've had to open the door to Serie A straight away and let Ronaldo shine in the spotlight here on Bet Victor's Euro Weekly. Here's my chat with uh, Chloe Beresford from earlier this Monday. rather than your uh, family lineage in, in the footballing <laughs> world as as probably more interesting as it normally is than a Serie A title race but at least we have one this year well over the last few early parts of the season anyway um, yeah. let's talk though because Cristiano Ronaldo always wants the spotlight for the last however long we've been doing uh, all things La Liga so it's finally time to go away from Messi and look at Ronaldo as uh, there was and it even came into Argentinian news, the fact that Ronaldo was substituted against Milan. Um, hasn't been 100% fit, but too many people perhaps reading too much into it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the thing is with Ronaldo is, is it's always going to be big news. Um, that People like talking about him. So um, obviously he was substituted uh, against Milan, but also he, he was the week before as well um, in Europe. Mm. So, it, you know, he his body language was very much fed up to, to be substituted. Um, but I think, to be honest, that's just the way he is. He wants to play. Um, Juve came out and said that he'd been playing through the pain and he'd been playing through um, the injury. Um, but then he started <laughs> and scored a hat-trick for Portugal. So people were thinking, well, who's right here? Is he injured? And and the fact that he'd stormed off and, and left the stadium completely and gone home. Um, you know, he was talk of a riff with Maurizio Sarri, the Juve coach, and but actually, it's it's just a storm in a teacup. He's Ronaldo himself has come out today and said, you know, um, he, for as far as he is concerned, there's no issue. Um, he was disappointed to be substituted, but he also was injured, and now he's feeling better. So I think, I think you know, a lot of conclusions were being drawn, and and I don't think it was all that all that much of a big deal really and unfortunately I guess for Sarri is that a lot of people are going to take Ronaldo's side over Sarri because Ronaldo's the poster boy of Juventus he's that fantastic signing really for Italian football to get the world's attention right back on Serie A when it has look we both enjoy the league but it has lost its celebrity status if you will in world football over the last 10-15 years or so but a number yeah. of people will see Ronaldo walking down frustrated straight down the tunnel when he came off against Milan and go yeah what are they doing bringing off their best player the world-class talent that is Ronaldo I thought it was just really nice and fitting that Dybala came on scored the winner helped to <laughs> yeah. silence it a little bit and it kind of shows that yeah. Sarri's reputation hasn't shouldn't have been completely destroyed by what happened at Chelsea no no not at all um you know he's it happened the week before as well he um, against Locomotive Moscow, we bought on Douglas Costa, and it was him that scored the winner. So, you know, I think Juventus are the only team left unbeaten in all competitions in Europe. So, you know, Sari is definitely doing something right. Um, but I think I think you're also correct in the in the fact that Ronaldo brings his own fan base. Um, I I went to um, I went to Empoli and saw Empoli play Juve last season, and it, obviously it's a really small place, it's a really small ground, um, but it was completely sold out. And the people that were sitting around me were not Juve fans; they weren't Empoli fans. They were Ronaldo fans. They had, 
you know, Portugal shirts on with Ronaldo on the back and they, they just come literally to see him. So I think with the case of him him and Messi, they they just bring their own following really. And that, and that's a bit of a strange one in football because obviously it is a team sport and the coach has got a duty to do his best to make the team win. His his um, brief isn't to get Ronaldo the most minutes. It's it, he's 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 got to win the game. And like you said, that Dybala came on and made the difference. So he was proven to be right, really. It's it's almost frustrating that the likes of Messi and Ronaldo are bigger than the sport now, if you will. Because on one on the one hand, you do love seeing them play. It's great to have those world class players playing in your league, playing for your club. As a fan, it's fantastic. I mean, I don't know. I probably sit on the fence a little bit too much with this, actually, because I, I'm in the NBA. I'm a big fan of players rather than teams. And it's yeah. easier for somebody who isn't connected so closely to a league, I suppose, to follow a player rather than a I team. I think so, yeah. But yeah. That, is, that is the globalisation of world football, unfortunately, Chloe. Yeah, you're right. Um, in terms of coming out of the uh, international break, there's plenty of football, to obviously, to dive into with a fantastic Saturday coming up. Atalanta against Juventus is a game that last year was so problematic for Juve. They really struggled going to Bergamo around, I think it was Boxing Day or just before Christmas uh, that those two played. And it was a tough slog for, for Juve to eventually get uh, get a victory. If I, my memory serves me, I really should have written this down, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> but Gasparini and what he's done with Atalanta is quite phenomenal in the last few years since taking the reins and bringing them into the Champions League, which has been frustrating for them being at the San Siro. Do Atalanta still pose those problems this season? Yeah, I think so. I think it's been a bit of a, a learning curve for them in the Champions League um, for the first time ever. Um, but yeah, they they do they do still pose those problems. They play very aggressive, very attacking football, always on the front foot. And I think you know, as Manchester City found out when they they got a one one draw, that you know they they don't really fear anyone. They just go out and play their own way. They work very very hard. Uh, Gasparini apparently pushes them um, to be at absolute peak fitness to. Um, to facilitate the way that they play of such a high-tempo style. And, you know, Juve, I mean, they lost 3-0 to Atalanta in the Coppa Italia last season. So um, they, they have been a difficult opponent in the past. Uh, but one thing I would say is that um, now Juve have got Sarri rather than Max Allegri, I think, I think Juve tend to now play more on the front foot. Um, I think we might see some goals, but, you know, Allegri's team were more sort of cautious. So I think that's why they fell foul of Atalanta because Atalanta liked to go at teams and, and Allegri was a bit sort of sitting back and not, not liking to attack too much. So um, maybe they'll do better, but I... I think it'd probably be unlikely that Juve will keep a clean sheet in that one. It's interesting that Atalanta have been one of these sides that have risen to prominence domestically. Even being in the Champions League, though, a lot of the players haven't necessarily caught the eye completely. I mean, they've been able to keep hold of and, and still have Zapata. They've got Muriel there as well, who's playing excellent football. Martin Duron, who had his brief spell in English football and then went scampering straight back to Serie A and said, no, I can actually play here and Middlesbrough are terrible. I'll just leave that one alone. No disrespect to the Northern football scene, particularly to yourself, Chloe. But uh, <laughs> but but it is an Atalanta side that, that nobody still fancies as, or seems to fancy in, in the transfer market in terms of picking off, which I suppose is excellent for Gasparini. Yeah, I mean, it really helps him. And I think they've they've worked on, I mean, they, they had a lot of youth players uh, like Frank Kessier and Roberto Gagliardini who who were snapped up very quickly by some of the bigger sides. But then they, they rebuilt and they used the money to replace with sensible replacements and with the focus very much on a team ethic. So they haven't... Um, they haven't got one standout star who's who's inevitably going to be snapped up by a big club. They've they've built that side really in an intelligent way that works well together, so that they can keep hold of them. Because just one player on his on its own is not probably going to make the same impact at another side they have in that system at Atalanta. It's the Grant Holt philosophy of. He can play in a Norwich side. He'll struggle elsewhere. Maybe a lot of these yeah. Atalanta players have the kind of similar, particularly Daron, you know, having a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of their midfielders, you probably, you know, um, wouldn't recognise the names, particularly not really household names. And some of the some of the attackers you'd know, like Papu Gomez and Ilicic and um, 
as a parter, like you said, but it's not, it's not, um, it's not like before when they had a lot of young players coming through the youth system that were linked with the Premier League and, and, and other big moves away. Going to be a fiery one then in Bergamo. Uh, elsewhere, though, there's uh, two other games on the Saturday that really stand out. Milan against Napoli and uh, Torino against Inter. Now, let's go to uh, Turin. Torino against Inter. It's a tough place to go um, and, and take on any any opposition. Inter, though, we almost, I think, even as uh, Torino fans would probably say this, want to see Inter stay on the coattails of Juventus. So there's almost an idea that maybe it's not so bad to lose one on home soil against an Inter side that's only a point <laughs> off them. Yeah, well, I'm sure that if they do lose, I'm sure that they'll console themselves with that. And you know, I think Inter have they've with Antonio Conte, they've become much more mentally strong um, than they were before. And you know, we've all really, really so wanted this a title race, uh, an exciting uh, battle, somebody to really challenge Juventus. And it's not really happened over the last few years, but. If Conte can keep this going, um, it, it's going to be one of the most interesting seasons, I think, for the last few years because, you know, you're not really 100% sure whether, you know, what Sarri can do because he's new. You're not sure if he can see it right through to the end. Conte's got a proven track record. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just interesting to see the differences between the two teams and, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Torino won't be too disappointed <laughs> if they do uh, if they do give some points to Inter at the weekend. Let's talk about Andrea Bellotti for Torino as well. It's a it's a player that many have linked with move away from Turin for a long time now to to pastures new and probably pastures far greener as well. But what's holding back Bellotti from being involved? And he is just the key element for that Torino attack, isn't he? Yeah, he is. I mean, um, a couple of seasons ago, they were talking about a hundred million pounds move to the Premier League, and it it never really came off. He said he was happy to stay, um, and then after that, his performances really dropped off, so the the talk quietened. Um, and I think you know that that um, all those rumours kind of affected him. I think, and and it's only just now that he's starting to get his form back and his confidence back. Um, but he 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 really does seem to genuinely like it at Torino. He's a captain, um, you know. He's he's really he really seems settled there. So, you know. But I, I assume if if his goal scoring record carries on as it has been this season, that those those rumours will reappear. Yeah, it's a shame he had uh, that brace from the penalty spot before the international break and it doesn't come into this game in that fine flow. Maybe the international break breaking it up. Three goals in yeah. eight games against Inter as well on his record. So he does at least have a good record of scoring against some of the bigger sides in uh, in Italian yeah. football. Uh, just finally then, let's talk about Milan and Napoli and give me some solace. Is, uh, do <laughs> Milan have a chance in hell against Napoli? I'd have to say yes. Um, because Napoli have been in such disarray, um, Carlo Ancelotti and the the owner have had a bit of a, a rift because the owner um, put them into like a they call it in Retiro, a training camp that was going to last a, a full week because the the results weren't going their way really, and Ancelotti seemed to be struggling. But Ancelotti came out and said he disagreed with that, um, and he didn't think that they needed it. And then the players revolted, and they left the training camp, and uh, then the fans were very angry, and they were demonstrating. So there's a lot of issues going on at Napoli right now. Um, they've he's he's gone with a four four two quite a lot, um, and because most teams in Serie A have a three man midfield, they've been really overrun, and it's left the centre backs quite exposed. So. He's now saying, oh, he might try four three three, but it's all very sort of last minute. If you if you're suddenly changing formation, so uh, but on the other hand, you know Milan, although they lost to Juve, they did look better and they did look a lot more organised under Pioli. So if they have continued to improve over the international break and having a bit more time to work with a coach, then you know I could see Milan getting a result or at least a point, which, you know, considering how they've struggled this season, wouldn't be too bad against Napoli. Uh, it's so rare for Napoli's owner, De Laurentiis, to, to be involved in any sort of controversial <laughs> ongoings off the pitch. I tell you, if it's not the stadium, it's falling out with Ancelotti. And if it's not falling out yeah. with the Ancelotti, it's the players. Uh, club in a yeah, bit of a crisis. Yeah, the drama. <laughs> it's, I, I would say it's, it's passion, isn't it? Southern Italian passion. Mm. 
yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll call it that. Uh, in terms of uh, what you were mentioning about the formation for for Napoli, the four four two that they've played, and and it was kind of implemented straight, almost straight away by Ancelotti. But we always saw, and I know they've lost members of that fantastic side that did actually push Napoli, uh, Juventus close, sorry, in, in the title race over a couple of seasons ago now. But we always saw Napoli playing their best when it was a three-headed monster up front and then some sort of attacking player like Hamshik as well, supporting from deep in a very much a Lampard way. And yeah. it, it almost seemed like Ancelotti didn't have to do much except just implement a steady rotation, which Sari never implemented in Napoli. And that would have success. It, got any reason why he would have perhaps turned away from that, aside from maybe some of the other players that have had to depart like Hamsik? Yeah, I think that um, Sari's system at Napoli was so precise. He developed it over three seasons um, and got a record points total in each of those three seasons. So they were getting better and better and better. He'd use the drone technology to make sure it was all working as it should. Um, and I think Ancelotti probably came in and thought, you know, I can't, this is so precise that I need to make a change and put my stamp on it and make it my team. Mm. Um and I think he's tried to do that, but it, it's it's become increasingly clear that it's not working. Um, whether Ancelotti has become one of those coaches that has done very, very well in the past and is now getting a little bit too old, I don't know. Or whether it's just the, the atmosphere of, of working at Napoli when they've got a lot of, it's a very fiery atmosphere and, you know, the owner likes to interfere. And I don't know, but... Um, yeah, that that he really could have kept that three-man midfield and um, tried to tried to just not change it too much. But I mean, I suppose he had lost Jorginho and Hamšík uh, now, so it was probably it was probably a case of well, those two have gone. I'll I'll get another midfielder in. We'll make it a two-man midfield and then go from there, sort of thing. But it's it's just it's. Apart from the shot win against Liverpool, they've just been really quite dreadful. Yeah, it's not been uh, the best viewing coming out of Naples in, uh, since Ancelotti took over and sat there in seventh place, 19 points from 12 games in Serie A to start the season. Isn't exactly what Napoli fans were thinking for second year Ancelotti taking the reins and being in control, although Milan fans probably weren't expecting to be sat in 14th either. Um, <laughs> no. For those three games then, Chloe, give us a prediction of uh, just winner, draw, etc starting with the okay. Uh, Atalanta game okay uh, I think a Juve win for that one oh killing me I was hoping for something in Bergamo at least uh, what about <laughs> uh, what about Milan against Napoli at the San Siro um I'll go for a draw okay that's that's more than I was expecting to be honest although I think I might go for a plucky win for Milan and uh, and finally uh the Saturday evening game Torino against Inter um, I'll go for, I'll go for an Inter win, I think. Oh, Mazzari against his former side. He's going to come <laughs> back and haunt them, surely. Uh, we will, uh, we'll reveal the bet Victor odds just in a moment on the show coming up. Uh, but Chloe, you can obviously, uh, be found on Twitter at Chloe J Beresford, uh, and you're writing all over the place in terms of Italian football. Anybody yeah. that follows you on Twitter knows that your heart may actually be purple rather than red uh i'll allow you to wax lyrical slightly about what's going on with fiorentina for a moment <laughs> uh well it's quite an interesting season of transition so after 17 years of being owned by the della valley brothers who owned the todd shoes company they they'd let the club kind of stagnate and they weren't really investing um so the fans weren't happy at all and so in came uh, rocco camiso who is um, he's Italian born but he's lived in America most of his life and he owns a big company um, over in the States so he came in with the funds and the enthusiasm to turn things around um, and they've started investing in the squad and bringing in players like Frank Ribery who you know the Fiorentina fans just love to see someone um, with a big name really after you know a lot of underwhelming signings over the years so yeah, it's it's looking positive. It's it's a good project and a, and there's a long term future in it. I think um, it's just getting the results right on the pitch is taking a little time. But you know, I think there's such a lot 
for Fiorentina to be hopeful for and this kind of investment should hopefully see them return to Champions League competition whether that be you know in a year or two years um Oh, yeah, very bold. Work. Very bold indeed. That, <laughs> that is the blind faith of a football fan coming through right there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, big thanks to Chloe there for joining on the show. The three stellar Saturday games that we were talking about, Atalanta against Juventus, Milan against Napoli, and Torino against Inter. If you fancy a bit of a wild one and... Uh, you know, I, I like an accumulator. That's the only way I can get excited by any sort of uh, of gambling normally, Jason. So Don't I've gone with I've gone with Atalanta to get a draw on at home against Juventus. <laughs> I'm going for Milan to get the upset victory on home soil against Napoli, and I'm going for Torino to hold Inter on home soil as well. So I'm looking for the uh, the the home sides to to pull off not minor miracles, but certainly upsets this weekend. If you put all of that on, it's thirty five to one. And I wouldn't say that's the worst odds that you could get. And probably worth a, a cheeky fiver or so, to be honest. 35-1 to 1 if you go with Atalanta to draw with Juve, Milan to beat Napoli, and Torino to draw with Inter. That's all for this week on the show. Jason, big thanks for uh, chatting all things football once again. Uh, you're going to be casting your eyes anywhere else next week? A bit of German, a bit of French? You know? I, th- I think I might have a, a BDI on the Bundesliga as well as the Spanish league this weekend. BDI on the Bundesliga. That sounds like a uh, Oasis app. No, they became BDI, didn't they, or something like that? <laughs> didn't Oasis become that? Or Noel Gallagher? That was, uh, was Liam, wasn't it? Liam's Liam's other one was BDI. Off, yeah, I never. Offshoot. Never. Noel's, Noel's was high flying birds, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it's amazing how neither of those did any good. As soon as you separated the two brothers apart, it was like, uh, yeah, whatever. I mean. We want Oasis, that's all we want. In the same way that we just want entertaining football all this weekend. We'll be keeping abreast of all things going on around Europe as the season continues. But for now, you can find Jason and I'm at Jason Pettigrove on Twitter, myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. And of course, you can follow at Beck Victor as well. Remember, all the ads and all the ads? All the odds from the show today are subject to change. You must be 18 or over to gamble on BetVictor. And, of course, please gamble responsibly. Visit BeGambleAware.org for more information. And you can like, follow us, and subscribe to this show on either iTunes or Google Podcasts or Anchor.fm, our host, and a whole variety of other good podcasting outlets. Until next week, take care. Enjoy the European football. We'll be back again with more soon.